What email marketing software is enjoyable to use, has great features, and is good value for money? With Laurie Wang. Martech Stacked episode number 10. Brought to you by Content Cow. Plan, collaborate on, approve, and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. This is Martech Stacked. The weekly show that delves into the what, which, why, and how of marketing technology. I'm your host, David Bain, and each episode I'll be chatting with a top marketer or a top technologist about what MarTech they use, which are their top tools, why they use the tools that they do, and how they integrate everything together as part of their overarching content marketing strategy and MarTech stack. I'm joined today by an ex-marketing specialist and content consultant for Google. She is an award-winning digital marketing consultant, speaker, and social media trainer who helps businesses to get seen online and attract more customers. Welcome, Laurie Wang. Thanks for having me, David. It's great to be here. Great to have you on, Laurie. So you can find Laurie over at lauriewang.com. So Laurie, explain what your business does and how you use marketing technology to make it better. Of course, yeah. As you mentioned previously, I worked with Google on rolling out their digital training program across the UK. And before that, I was with an ad agency. So during this time, I really saw the evolution of how digital have really evolved over time. Um, This dates myself a little bit, but I still remember the days when when I started working with the agency, Facebook was called thefacebook.com. So it's quite a few years back and um, really have seen the changes over time of how businesses have leveraged digital and social media to grow their audiences online. And that's really why I want to bring that um, into my business to help small businesses create that same opportunity, but without the huge budget that's needed in order to enter the agency land. So that's where I kind of bridge that very unique area where small businesses can then jump in, leverage those technologies straight away and then turn around and start applying into what they do and start seeing results a lot faster than they would in a large campaign. That's amazing, thefacebook.com. I, I don't think I was using Facebook at that time. I think I signed up something like 2008. So, and, and before that, I was on Bebo, which was a really popular network in the UK. And obviously, MySpace or Friends United before that, if anyone can remember that. That's right, but, yeah. But, but the, the, thefacebook.com, what, what year was that? Was that when... It was only uh, appropriate for students to actually sign up and use the service. That's right. Yeah. So you can hear from my accent. I, I wasn't originally from the UK. So I graduated in the US. And during that time, they were recruiting lots of college students to be part of the platform. So we were one of the four, first essential um, testers, in a way, to use it. And uh, I started seeing it you know, from the very early days, one of the very basic, essentially just a few buttons here and there to post on your wall. And you can post a few photos about you, some information, a bit like LinkedIn back in the very first early stages. So, um, yeah, seeing the Facebook essentially evolve over the last, gosh, about 16 years or so, isn't it? Since they've been around. And did it, it feels f- like ages ago. Yeah, did it feel at the time that it was kind of groundbreaking technology and, and different to other social platforms out there? Or did you just feel that it was uh, a slight improvement or maybe not even an improvement, just, just a different type of um, um, platform? Yeah. At first, we just thought, you know, it's actually just a profile, an online profile that you can create for yourself. Mm. And then you can connect with other students that way. So it really didn't feel very groundbreaking until they start rolling out, of course, a lot more new features. Um, even I remember even then, for the first, I would say, couple years or so, it wasn't particularly, you know, kind of innovative in that sense. It was more kind of just for fun. 
or I used to remember the days where you can send gifts, virtual gifts to each other. Mm. Um, and it's just one of the things that you do as college students um, back in the day. But obviously, when we joined the agency side, from my perspective, it really opened up a whole new world about what social media can do, at least in the very rudimentary stages for business campaigns. And because of that, that's why I thought it's really interesting to, uh, to continue that, that journey and eventually led me that to Google, essentially ultimately leading me to create my own agency. Superb. So we're obviously focusing in on marketing technology as part of this conversation. So in general, which parts of your own business would you say are, are, are actually operating most uh, fluidly, most efficiently at the moment, thanks to technology? Yeah, definitely. So I would say in terms of scheduling of social media as itself, that's one thing that ever since these tools came out initially, it's been a huge life changer just because it's one of those things that become, can become a time suck if you're not careful about that. And um, if you don't have things planned ahead of time, having a process in place, it can really take over your day. And that's one part of it. But another part of it is actually the content creation side. Um, I think before some of these amazing new tools, which I'll mention later on in our, in our Q&A, is, um, is really kind of, you have to go into these very complex softwares to create high quality content. Whereas nowadays, having access to just a few websites and a few tools essentially allow you to create content within minutes and allow you to share that with your audiences. And in social media land, content and social media itself, it's almost like the car and the engine. So without one or the other, you can't really function. Mm. So by having these amazing tools, they save businesses loads of time and essentially being able to still operate while they get on with what they do best. Okay, so... I'd like to take a detour straight away toward the conversation, but I, I won't. I'll, I'll get, get straight into the, the three technology tools. But uh, I just want to say that um, I, I would like to get your thoughts um, afterwards um, on organic versus paid as well for social media, because I, I think um, five years ago, you could get tremendous organic reach on, on, on social media. And it would be great maybe to get a few thoughts from you whether you think um, it's essential nowadays to do things like boosting posts to, to, to get your content seen uh, out there. But um, let's veer back to marketing technology. So um, uh, I'm keen to find out your top three tools. So starting off with number three, what are your top three tools in your current MarTech stack and why? Fantastic. Well, like I mentioned earlier, content is a big part of what I do, but also a big part of what my clients do as well. So for them, <clears throat> this might seem, maybe for some of you guys who are listening, uh, rudimentary, but it's actually been something that's been revolutionary. And we've seen that done um, fantastically well across the board for content marketing. So it's Canva, Canva.com. Now, <clears throat> the reason why Canva is so good is because back in the days, before Canva started, I remember being frustrated about using Photoshop or using um, Adobe Premiere, some of these very fancy and expensive tools but at the same time, having those functionalities in there, that looks very scary for a novice. So for someone who doesn't come from a creative background, being able to leverage just a few clicks on websites like Canva, where you can essentially create graphics, videos, uh, cover images, and all kinds of different social media graphics and content within minutes it has been revolutionary. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I think the founder mentioned she started in the first place. And I thought I mentioned that as one of my top one of the three 
because it's been one that truly changed my content life in a way. And also for a lot of my clients to be able to do it themselves very quickly as well. And obviously for lots of other people as well, because <clears throat> I've recently had a conversation with Teresa Heath Waring. I'm not sure if you're aware of, aware of um, Teresa. Um, she's kind of a social media expert and she selected Canva as one of her tools as well. So it's obviously a, a tool that's particularly popular for those who focus in on social media and um, want to create compelling, great looking content. So great recommendation there for number three. So what is tool number Number two. Fantastic. So in continue with that, um, a great one for mobile, which I love, is that because nowadays a lot of times when you're posting on the go um, for different, let's say, accounts that you might have, or perhaps to share something straight away, um, given the time limit and the time and attention span that we do have these days, a great video tool to use on a mobile to create content is called InShot. So I-N-S-H-O-T, for those of you guys who are listening. Uh, so InShot's great because it's essentially like Canva, but almost on uh, steroids for video. You can create different kind of filters. You can create different segments, different sizes very quickly. We know that's important now because every single platform has their specific um, sizing requirements for video content. And if you don't have anything at hand that can do this very quickly, it can be very time consuming. So for you to be able to quickly switch around, let's say a YouTube video into an IGTV video, and then going ahead and post that into Twitter and LinkedIn, all very quickly, just because you can transition the videos into different sizes, I think that itself is a game changer. But on top of that, being able to edit your video on the go on the mobile, it creates a lot of time for people and also fle fle uh, flexibility as well. Okay, another great recommendation there. I'm not sure if I've heard of InShot before, and you can tell that Laurie's a pro because um, you spelled out <laughs> InShot as well. So uh, <laughs> extra stars there for that one. Um, what platforms is InShot available on? Is it available on iOS? Do you know if it's available on Android as well? Is it available on desktop as well? It should be available for both um, iOS and Android, but feel free to um, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Do let me know after the show. But from what I know, it should be available for both of those mobile platforms. I don't think they have a desktop platform for that, but the only reason is because their key um, selling point is because of the fact that they can do it on mobile. If you're looking to on desktop, then I would say the best uh, bet for that would be Animoto. And the Moto is great because they have a lot of these different uh, set, I would say, formats of how your video should look. And essentially, we need to do just slot in the videos that you have. <clears throat> and then you can then create different type of cuts and also presentations from it, which is really great as well. So if you're a keen desktop user, feel free to check out Animoto. And another sneaky recommendation there that probably doesn't fit into the top three, <laughs> but maybe came close. Um, so, so, came close. So that's great to get that one there as well. Um, just to break down, in shot it was, wasn't it? Not not, not plural. It's just That's in right. shot. Yeah. Just to break down, just in shot. The, the 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 workflow that you use within that. So you you would go to a YouTube video that you've published yourself that that may be over ten minutes long, and then you're able to select a segment of that video fairly easily, and then from that you you're able to create a, a one by one video for Instagram. That's right, one by one, or let's say you want to do the vertical version a full screen for IGTV, for example, <clears throat> or you want to use it for TikTok, maybe. Okay. Of course, TikTok have their own little um, video editors these days as mm. well. Uh, a fantastic trick, by the way, is to use some of that TikTok uh, special effects if you want to, and then you can bring it back into InShot. Again, a little side tip there. But um, so using that, you can quickly shift the size of the video very quickly. And also you can add in subtitles, you can add in uh, filters, which makes the whole process so easy, especially when you're just on one of these devices rather than having to be on your desktop. 
So Instagram was the first platform you mentioned there, and then TikTok. Um, I assume you're obviously on TikTok. I, I haven't checked out um, if you're on TikTok or, or, or not. So I guess the first part of the question is, what's TikTok like for you if, if, if you're on it? And, and the second part is, I guess, what are the key social networks to be posting on at the moment in order? Great questions for both. Uh, so unfortunately with TikTok, I'm a bit of a late bloomer. <laughs> So currently you might have, um, you can see that I have an account on hold at the moment, but um, I don't really have uh, active posting content on there just because I'm trying to figure out the platform in terms of how it really fit in within my brand. And that comes to the second question actually, because at the end of the day, I think social media platforms are fantastic and there's always going to be new ones out there. Now the key thing is to think about is your, is your audience, <clears throat> sorry, is your audience actually hanging out on that platform or are they actually being at the place where you're currently at the moment and you should concentrate your effort and your content being where you're at to really serve them best? So um, in my mind, obviously thinking about the demographic of TikTok, I don't think it really merits me spending additional time there at the moment. However, I am obviously keeping the monitor very closely on the situation. And I feel like it starts to get to the point where it hits a bit more mainstream and my audience base is starting to move towards there. I will eventually sp spend more time on that platform. So that's my point on, second, uh, on the second question is that you want to think about where your audience are at at the moment, not just where the most coolest or the latest platform is. Great. Okay, so you're, you're not dancing on TikTok yet, but maybe in a month's time or so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, that was tools three and two. What is your tool number one? Okay, tool number one. Again, this comes back to my digital marketing slash social media background. Uh, but one thing that I use consistently on a weekly basis is email marketing. Now, the reason why I mentioned this on the back of um, social media is because at the end of the day, social media is actually a borrowed platform. As much as I don't like to admit that, um, being a marketer on those platforms, it is true that <clears throat> in some way that they can actually take away social media um, at any point. So we've seen that with some of the video platforms, which I shall not mention on this podcast. But uh, if you know what I mean, where previously it just shut down overnight and a lot of the creators and slash businesses that actually use those platforms lost out on the opportunity. So if you can, I will always recommend try to attract your audiences on social media to leave their social uh, to leave their email addresses with you uh, by exchanging for let's say a valuable piece of content that you can create for them that's behind the barrier wall um, to sign up for via their email address. Well, the reason why I say that is because ultimately, um, if anything does change with the algorithm, the reach of that platform, or let's say that the platform does shut down, very unlikely, but it might happen, um, then you actually own this particular audience a lot more than, let's say, by just being on there um, at the mercy of the social media platform reach. So let's say tomorrow I want to send an email newsletter to my audiences, I will always have that list of audiences there who are waiting to hear from me. Now, they have the choice to actually unsubscribe if they want to, but ultimately, the people who are on that list are the ones who choose to become my true fans and remain there because I create more value for them in that channel. Okay, so do you have a specific e email software tool that y you, you would recommend? Yes, so um, I've tested quite a few of them, and of all the ones I've tested, I really like ConvertKit. Now, there's a reason for that because one is for the audience base that you have, you get a lot better value for money in terms of, let's say you're going up to 7,000 or 3,000 subscribers. On a per subscriber cost basis, you're paying a lot less with ConvertKit in my experience. And secondly, is that they have a lot of interesting tagging 
um, opportunities that you can tag the users based on their, their user experience with your website, with your newsletters. So if they clicked on something, for example, and they're actually criteria, they're actually classified as a really interested party in a specific product, that itself is a really great feature. Um, or particularly, there is an email broadcasting service that you can schedule out beforehand, which is quite common across all email platforms. However, the one I really like is the one where you can create the if and then functions mm. within ConvertKit as well. Again, creating the whole ecosystem of your um, email newsletter list. So without having to do too much manual process, again, I'm all about automating as much as you can, obviously without taking on the human touch. But um, in this case, for email marketing, it's quite easy to set up in ConvertKit, and I really recommend them. Great. Okay, that's a good rep recommendation. I've been fairly, I know, hot and cold with email marketing over the years. I I've been good at opting people into a list, but I've been rather unenthusiastic about emailing people on a regular basis and keeping in touch with people. You mentioned it's important to have a strong call to action as part of your social media content that you publish. So what's an example of a great call to action, maybe a specific piece of content that you can share that, that has been really effective at driving people to your email list? And then as a follow up question to that, um, how often do you keep in touch with people using email and what, what content do you have within those emails? Sure, of course. So um, in my example, where I usually think about, um, for my audiences, what are the biggest challenges at the moment and how do I support them better? And usually the very valuable piece of content that you are willing to give away for free should be something that you're actually willing to charge for. It should be that valuable where you're thinking, oh, this um, PDF or this guide or this ebook that I'm, I'm creating is so good that I want to actually sell it for a specific, um, you know, obviously marketing budget, but actually you're looking to use it for free to actually get people in exchange for the email addresses. So that should be how valuable that piece of content are to your audiences. Um, so in my case, I actually created a list of, I think, 20, the top 50, I think, um, technology tools that I've used in my online business that's been really valuable for me. And it's something that I would have actually created into an ebook if I, if I could have. Um, but because this piece of content I think is so valuable for people, I'm actually using it as a, as a lead magnet to really attract audiences who want to be part of my community and, and exchange for the email addresses to get this piece of guide. And I've got really great feedback about that as well. So I got lots of people emailing back after they received the email from me from ConvertKit saying, oh, Lori, love this guide and I hope that you create more things like this for us. So it's just that kind of feedback that I'm using from my community to really feed my content ideas, especially when it comes to a piece of content like this for email um, exchange. And in terms of email frequency and, and content within the emails? Yes. Yeah, so email frequency, I recommend going for a frequency that works for you specifically. Um, let's say you have a lot of content that you want to share, but it might be only over a course of, let's say, four weeks. I recommend actually splitting that up into something that's consistent for you. So even if let's say once a month, if your audience know that they can expect an email from you once a month every time, then they know that you, <clears throat> then they know that you will always be there for them in that aspect, in that consistency. Now, if you can be there on the, uh, for them on a weekly basis, just email out something that's really useful, perhaps you came across or you think they might find useful in what they do, then I think that itself is a great value add. It's not too frequent to the point that people actually get annoyed. I think once a week is fantastic if you can maintain that. Great, okay. And um, I touched upon at the beginning of the discussion, um, 
paid or organic social. And um, it would be great to get your thoughts on how you put together your own content marketing strategy. So what content you choose to publish and where you choose to publish it and how you choose to promote that. So um, what kind of content um, do you try to publish on a regular basis? And um, how do you break that down into the various platforms? Fantastic, yes. So what I do at the moment is that I try to publish a YouTube video um, on a two on a bi-weekly basis, and that's my keystone content. And then what I do is with that larger video that I produce, which is usually about 10 minutes plus long, I can then break that down into specific small bite piece content I can use to promote the video across my various different platforms. So it's actually a mini content strategy across social media that way. Um, and the reason why I say that is because every single person should have a key medium of platform that they choose. <clears throat> you might be a really great writer, then you know, write a blog post every, every week or every two weeks. Maybe you're a great uh, podcaster like yourself, right, David? So do a podcast uh, maybe every two weeks or every week. And then that should be your key um, medium of your content base, of your key, uh, what do you call it, key channel oh. in a way. And then from there, you can use that keystone piece of content to create lots of mini content behind that uh, that's relevant to each platform. So for example, if I were to share a podcast episode through Instagram, I wouldn't just post a graphic on Instagram. I would actually create uh, a short audio file plus the video overlay of that audio playing, which I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of those formats across social media. And those are actually a lot more engaging for individuals to click on because Instagram is actually a visual platform. So same thing, let's say over on Twitter, where maybe an audio file link, it won't work as well as, let's say, a video playing the actual audio file. But again, Twitter have their own specific sizing and, and timing requirements as well. So by being able to create those different forms of content, you're creating multiple different stages for your keystone content to draw those audiences in from multiple different platforms as well. So thanks for the podcasting compliments, the checks in the post for that one there. Uh, but you, you, uh, no <laughs> your, your, your comments on YouTube, you said take a segment of a YouTube video and then use that to publish on Instagram. Do you try even try and drag, um, drive people back from Instagram to your YouTube channel as, and you have your, your YouTube channel as your core channel? That's a great question. So the way I see the online channels is actually that everything is becoming an ecosystem. So even though YouTube might at the moment be the key channel where I'm driving people, I'm driving people back to. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm also cognizant of the other channels I have and how I can make them um, a multi-search type experience. So let's say someone someone come across me um, on LinkedIn, then actually they'll also see that I posted. I've actually featured one of my key um, YouTube videos on LinkedIn as a link. So that would drive them towards my YouTube. And then on YouTube, I also have a, uh, a drive towards my website because on my website, there's actually a really valuable piece of content that they can download. So they'll click through to my website, download that content, and then they'll receive an email from me, which then creates uh, more links into my Instagram, for example, and Twitter and Facebook. So all these become almost like an ecosystem across different platforms. And I want people to be able to find me anywhere they're hanging out online, but obviously at the moment, I do have the capacity to do so. I always recommend to new um, individuals coming to the social media space to pick about two to three platforms maximum to actually really concentrate on those. And then once you start growing the audience that's a sizable number, you can always bring them into other platforms as well, like using this online ecosystem method. <clears throat> so would it be fair to describe 
your system as a, as a funnel across different social media platforms. So users may discover you on LinkedIn or Instagram and then get funneled towards YouTube and then get funneled back towards your website and a call to action after that. Definitely. That's a great way to put it, David. Okay, great. And we touched upon paid or organic. Do you pay to promote posts on LinkedIn or Instagram? Absolutely. So currently, I still believe the cost uh, per impression and per click, especially from what you can get on social media ads, the most valuable places are still Facebook as the main place. And then Instagram, obviously, because they, they're converged together, you can actually run Instagram ads through Facebook's ad platform as well. <clears throat> I always recommend going through Facebook's ad platform as a first place. The only reason for that is because Instagram has a mobile ad platform on their mobile app. However, it's not exactly very accurate. You can target general interest areas, general demographics, but it's not as detailed as Facebook ad platform where you can literally go into the granulars of how your audience look like on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you know your audience very, very well, you can go into lots of detail about who they are, what their interests are, what competitors are they're interested in, things like that, where you can target in a much more granular level. But also what's great about Facebook is that retargeting option mm -hmm. where those individuals who came across your website, your social media accounts previously, you can capture all of that into a custom audience and then be able to retarget them later on because they're much more familiar about you and they're much more likely to become a lead or become a customer down the line. Something that's worked really well for my clients in the past as well. You mentioned retargeting quite a bit there. So if you're advertising on Facebook or Instagram, would you advocate just boosting posts with a view to building a retargeting list or is it important to have a call to action alongside that paid post as well? Yeah, great question, David. Definitely a call to action to that. The reason for it, because when you boost posts, it only gives you a specific impression that Facebook is trying to reach for. And if you're not very clear on who you're actually boosting it to, Facebook will use that budget very, very quickly and then boost the post to as many individuals as they can without actually going to your target audiences. So the key thing, I think, to avoid that boost button, if you can, on Facebook's pages, but rather go behind the scenes into the Facebook ad platform and do a specific targeting from there. And make sure in your copy, there is a value add call to action there that drives people towards doing something. Maybe even just to click on the website, but I would say go a step further to create some sort of value add content piece that they can download and then measure how many people downloaded it on the back of that to see what your, what your conversion rate is like. So as your business grows, what's an example of a process that you currently do manually that you may wish to automate using marketing technology in the future? Yes, that's a great, that's a great question. So one thing that I really hate doing at the moment is the um, subtitles. Now, unfortunately, subtitles are still very much manual in many senses. Now, I know there are a lot of websites out there doing subtitles, including rep.com, for example, where they will actually have a human being behind the scenes writing it out for you and sending it back to you in about two to three hours, let's say. Mm -hmm. Now, because I have a very much of an ego eye of accuracy, I still spot the really glaring typos that happens in the back of human error. Yeah. So annoyingly enough, I still have to do it myself sometimes checking it through over and over again just to make sure I don't end up speaking, uh, you know, let's say a really bad word by accident <laughs> in my subtitles, even though that's not what I said in the video. So things like that where I do find a little bit, you know, annoying and things like that that I feel like should be automated by this point by using, you know, artificial intelligence, for example. 
But um, I'm hoping that someone out there is currently creating this amazing tool and then we can use that in the future. Yeah, we're, we're using Rev for this podcast to publish on Content Cal. And I've used Rev quite a bit o- over the years. And I would generally describe the results that they produce as as 99% accurate um, and and if you just use the machine only probably down to 90 to 95% or so and that 99% is 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 very very good you you do they, they do actually manage to pick up most uh, things like brand names but uh, every so often as you say that there's a phrase that's not quite right <laughs> and if you're doing something to publish and it has to portray a professional image of your brand then you do need to go through what what rev produce I'm I'm not slating Rev. Rev are probably one of the best, if not the best, options that are out there, but but they're not quite perfect yet. Yes, that's right. I agree. (laughs) So hopefully we do get to that point where we do have something quite accurate. Essentially, just something that you can submit get back the file and start using it straight away. So I'm hoping for that in the future. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's something that you have in mind that would be a wonderful piece of marketing technology that perhaps doesn't even exist yet and you would love to see created? Now, I really hope that you prove me wrong and this technology does exist. But um, the one thing I've been looking around forever is something that allows you to search through videos where, you know, as you know, some of these videos out there, content are so long and you might have someone doing an interview for let's say an hour or two hours of a session um, or it could be a podcast audio and things like that where I hope that there's a, a platform out there you can actually search through that video in terms of what was talked about and be able to jump to that particular content piece in that particular um, time slot, timestamp straight away and therefore save many hours of you know agonizing and trying to find those specific areas that you're looking for in a specific interview. Uh, or this might even come in the back of virtual summits, for example. So I myself was part of many. And when you want to go watch some of the other interviews that other speakers have done, you know, you have to go scroll through hours yeah. of video to find them. So things like that would be really amazing in terms of not from a content marketing perspective, but just from a user experience perspective as well. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I think the technology is in development. Google especially want to, to try and offer that particular service with YouTube. And they're obviously trying to make sense of audio and, and video and and producing automated captions that are that, that are fairly decent but, but not completely perfect yet. And also you may have noticed when you search Google for certain keyword phrases that YouTube videos sometimes appear at the top of search engine results pages. And then sometimes those mm. YouTube videos actually start at a specific point in the video. That's because Google have detected that the answer that someone is is is, is looking for starts at that particular point. So I think they're starting to try and do it, but they're a long way off from actually delivering exactly what you're looking for. Exactly. But um, I'm hoping that does change as well. Obviously, as we have better search results and coming through for video formats, but uh, looking forward to that. Absolutely. But, you know, we've covered a lot in today's conversation. What would you say is the key to- takeaway that the listener needs to, to take away and maybe implement within their business? Yeah. So from what we talked about today, David, I think the key takeaway is one, maintain your consistency over your content and your social media. Now, that might be different for everyone. It could be on a, on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, or daily if you're really ambitious. Now, but the key thing is that you want to make sure your audience know that you're always there for them on a specific time that they know they can expect to see your content in front of their faces. So I think that itself is quite key from today's conversation. And secondly is don't be afraid to leverage some of these amazing tools to help you 
create your content or schedule your content um, just to make the whole process easier for you because from what we know about um, creating an amazing social media presence and online presence is that it does take a lot of time and effort and if you can actually make some of those easier for you it allows you to concentrate more of your time to do what you do best in your business as well be reliable be consistent turn up consistently <laughs> oh, exactly <laughs> thank you so much for your time and your tips laurie what's the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do yeah you can go to my website at lauriewang.com or feel free to come over to twitter and instagram at i am laurie wang and of course once you go to my website there are lots of useful content there you can sign up for and feel free to find my other platforms like youtube for example where you see regular video content coming out to really help you guys grow online wonderful stuff thank you again thank you david and thank you, dear listener, for joining us. If you haven't done so already, sign up for your free trial of Content Cal, plan, collaborate on, approve and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. Plus check out all the other MarTech Stack Show episodes over at contentcal.io. Also, wherever you're watching or listening to this show, let us know your opinion. What are the three most important marketing technologies in your business? Let us know and we'll try and give you a shout out on a future show or maybe even have you on as a future guest. Thanks again.